You're listening to the Cougar Talk Podcast, hosted by Dylan McMinn and Chris Isaacson. Welcome back to another episode of the Cougar Talk Podcast. We've missed a few weeks due to some technical difficulties we have been dealing with and then the holiday of Thanksgiving. And so we missed a few weeks, but we've missed talking to y'all and we're back with a new episode today. Thank you all so much for joining us again, though. I'm Dylan, Cert Opinion on Twitter, and joining me today is my good friend, Chris. Chris, it has been a while. How have you been in the past few weeks? I've been good. Football season wrapped up. That was a little bit of a sad ending there. Basketball's right in swing. Got finals coming up at BYU, so I have been busy as ever. I guess a little bit of fun personal news for everybody here. I did just get engaged, so that's a fun part too. So lots going on over here. Our boy is getting hitched. So yeah, big shout out to you, Chris. Super excited for you. Awesome. Well, we're going to go ahead and get started in today's episode. Today's episode is going to be a little bit different, though. We're going to do our final football review just here at the end of the season, beginning of the football offseason, talk through some of our takeaways from the season, some of our season MVPs. And we also have a super cool interview with a super special guest that we'll reveal here in just a moment. And then we're going to switch directions a little bit and we're going to switch the conversation into basketball. We are officially 100% well, it's close to 100% in basketball mode as we can go. So starting off with football, as you mentioned, kind of a disappointing end to the season, Chris. You know, at the end of this season, BYU is looking at a 5-7 and seven record, finished 11th in the Big 12. You know, there, there were a lot of low expectations before the season. Think the expectations kind of heightened after beating Arkansas and going on a good stretch there. Starting the season, you know, we were 5-2, and two, and then we kind of all went downhill from there, didn't win anymore the rest of the season. So, you know, like you mentioned, kind of disappointing end there. Yeah, like you mentioned, early on in the season, going into Arkansas, beating them, and kind of having a lot of the high hopes, high expectations going into football, just to get dashed by the gauntlet of the Big 12 schedule, was definitely an experience. I mean, I love being in the Big 12 no matter what. Very happy to be here. Love being in a Power 5. We're now Power 4 conference. Rest in peace, Pac-12. And it's just nice knowing that, like, the worst of it's probably going to be right around here or somewhere really far off in the future. Because starting 5-7 and seven with only a couple conference wins, you can only really go up, and you can only go the slightest bit down. So it's going to be fun to see what we cook up next year. I'm excited for Jay Hill and the defensive staff to get another year of getting all their players ready and being able to really lock in on that. It's going to be interesting with the transfer portal to see how many guys we bring in, how many guys leave, and we are just barely getting started. We haven't even finished bowl season, so lots still up in the air. But overall, football is going to be fun, and even though we went 5-7, and seven, football was still pretty fun this year. Absolutely. Football Football is always going to be fun. You know, our good friend Jackson, who has done a couple episodes with us in the past, he always tweets after a disappointing loss or an exciting win that it's going to be go kooks forever. That's really the approach you got to take when you're in these off years like this year where it's a losing season, don't get a bull game. Doesn't matter. Still going to be go kooks from us. Still going to support our guys no matter what. And football's a fun sport. We're always going to have fun watching it, as frustrating as it can get. Well, taking a look back at the season, there were a lot of highs. There were a lot of lows. You know, in our mid-season review that we did earlier in the season, we kind of talked through some of our favorite plays 
that happened kind of tried ranking some of those plays. And to be honest, after that, you know, halfway point through the season, we didn't have too many highs afterwards. So there aren't too many plays we could have added there. So I don't think we're going to worry too much about ranking or re-ranking our top plays of the season. If you missed that conversation, you know, we we had number one with the Chase Roberts touchdown against Arkansas. Up there alongside him is the Darius Lasseter one-handed snag against Kansas. So, you know, some great exciting plays that we had this season. But we're going to leave it up to you to decide on your own ranking. We're not going to take the time to talk too much about that this week. Instead, what we want to focus on, though, is sort of our season MVPs. You know, every game, every week we talk through the offensive player of the game, the defensive player of the game, special teams player of the game occasionally as well. So now we want to talk about some of our overall season MVPs from both sides of the ball. So starting with you, Chris, who is your offensive MVP this year? Yeah, offensive MVP is a little bit hard. There were quite a few guys that made an impact, and it is a little bit difficult kind of given the expectations of the season coming in and what we thought the offense would look like versus what it ended up looking like. But given all of that, I am going to give my offensive MVP to Chase Roberts. He played in twelve all 12 games this season, had 573 yards receiving and five touchdowns, both of which were good for the team lead in those. And it always just seemed like when you needed a big play, Chase Roberts was the one to make it. Whether it's the one-handed catch against Arkansas or the deep ball against Cincinnati where he just comes out of nowhere from the sideline and basically intercepts Keaton Slovis' pass and runs for a touchdown, he was always right there when you needed him. And it felt like he was probably the biggest impact on this offense this year. So... Shout out to Chase Roberts, my offensive player of the year. Love it. And I think, you know, for the most part, I got to agree there. I'm going to give a different answer as well for mine just to keep spreading the love even more. But I do think, you know, Chase was our most consistent player. You mentioned he played in all 12 games. And with the season that we had this past year, you know, the best ability was availability. And he had that availability. You know, he even got his head taken off. I can't remember which game specifically. Maybe West Virginia. I can't remember for sure. But there is a specific game where him and Cody Epps both, you know, got hit in the head. Now that I'm talking about it, I think it was West Virginia. And he he ended up going back into the game after what was a clear targeting. Could have very well been a concussion. He went right back into the game, was ready to play, and he played the next week as well. So, you know, huge shout out to Chase. He, he crushed it this year, as always. He's really stepping up more as that clear wide receiver one, and he did this past season. So really excited to see that continue to develop for him in his career. Um, The way I want to go is I want to give some love to our rushing attack and specifically LJ Martin. You know, I, I want to give it to LJ Martin just because he's coming in as a true freshman. He doesn't really have expectations of starting. He's more here just to learn behind our veteran backs with Aiden Robbins, Deion Smith, and then those guys get hurt. He's expected to step up, take in that role, and he played great. You know, he we didn't see him much in the second half of the season because he was dealing with injury. Aiden got back from injury and got back into his groove and was rolling. And But even then, after not playing, you know, the last few weeks or much of the end of the season, LJ finished as our leading rusher with 518 yards, off of 109 carries and four rushing touchdowns. Longest run of 55 yards. That was that long run against Texas Tech in our first drive. I got to give it to LJ, man. You know, he he showed a lot of maturity and leadership, honestly, this season. He was thrown into a situation where the offensive line was going through some changes and some struggles. The offense in general was going through changes and struggles, dealing with injury, personnel switches. 
and he showed up consistently. He showed up and was our workhorse back, taking almost every down in those games that he started. So I, I want to give some love to LJ there. You know, it it was a tough season where we were struggling with the running game, but he was definitely one of those major bright spots in that running game and in our offense this past season. Moving on from the offense, switching to the defensive side of the ball. You know, this is this is another one that we kind of had trouble choosing our defensive MVP for this season for the sole reason of we had a lot of dudes step up this year. And our defense really improved. We saw a lot of improvement. But, Chris, I'm going to have you start us off with this one again as well. I'm curious, who do you have as your defensive MVP? Yeah, my defensive MVP, I'm actually going to stick with the same guy that I predicted from the preseason. I'm going with Max Tooley. He led the team in tackles with 92, had five tackles for loss, a sack, interception, couple pass breakups, a forced fumble. He does it all for this BYU defense. He's great in coverage. He's great at rushing the passer. He's always where the ball carriers are, filling in run gaps, everything like that. He was the one piece that makes this defense really work. And so every single time you watch the defense, Max Tooley is always the one out there kind of directing traffic and really being the first guy to the ball no matter where it's at. And so I feel like Max Tooley made the biggest impact of anybody on this defense, and he is more than deserving of my defensive player of the year. Absolutely, and he's he's one of those dudes that we're going to miss. He came back for one more year this past season for his last year of eligibility, and now he's just one of those dudes you are hoping for the best that an NFL team sees his value and picks him up. I'm a little bit biased, but I think the Seahawks could use another linebacker similar to him. So, you know, wishing Max nothing but the best, and that's a very well-deserved defensive MVP. I'm going to go ahead and give mine actually to Eddie Hackard. You know, Eddie, I think, was a pretty clear leader for the defense this season. You know, he steps up as a transfer. He steps into a role where... He's expected to play that nickel slot position, and he he's kind of put on an island multiple times as well, and he continually stepped up and performed. You know, his numbers on the season, he had 47 tackles total in the season, which isn't, you know, the lead for the tackles, but he also had a sack. He had six pass deflections, five interceptions. He had one interception touchdown. That was that pick six against Oklahoma State in the final game. He had two forced fumbles. One of them was in our actual, you know, top five rankings plays of our midseason review. That was that forced fumble against Arkansas where he strip sacks KJ Jefferson. And then he also had the forced fumble and fumble recovery for a touchdown against Texas Tech. So not only did he bring that leadership and that, you know, maturity and the leadership that that whole defensive locker room needed, but he also was a playmaker. It shows in his numbers, you know, forcing those five interceptions, two fumbles, you know, seven turnovers on the season directly responsible from Eddie Heckard. And, you know, I think we got to give it to him, give him the props there because he completely deserves that as well, in my opinion. Absolutely. He was such a big addition. And especially the whole defensive backroom in general, Jacob Robinson and Camden Garrett, though all the DBs had really great seasons. Jacob Robinson had four picks on the year. He had a bunch of them early. The The Sam Houston game was arguably his best one of the season. I remember just thinking how, how improved he was from the years before. And he was even really good the years before. And so we had a really great cornerback room. We were pretty spoiled this year. And 
There was also just one player I wanted to give a shout out to as well. Defensive lineman Tyler Batty. He led the team in tackles for loss with nine. The next highest player had five and a half and led the team in sacks as well with five and a half. And he was really our best defensive lineman. He was always making plays back there. And so we're excited to have him back for another year. He just barely announced that he's coming back. So that's going to be a big addition to anchor our defensive line for next year. I also want to point out a couple things specifically just overall from the entire team that I think deserves a shout out is just our transfers. We had a lot of transfers come in this past season that made an immediate impact. I mean, starting from the offense, both of the quarterbacks that we played this year were transfers with Keaton Slovis and Jake Retzloff. Then, you know, on our running back in our running back room, we have Aiden Robbins, we have Deion Smith, both guys who made direct impacts on games and won us some games. And then on defense, of course, you know, we have Eddie and Camden from Weber State. We also had Crew Wakely. He transferred in from Utah State. He stepped up big in a depleted safety room, made a lot of plays, and was a huge, huge role player in our defense this season. So really just a big overall shout out to our transfers that came in this season and made that immediate impact. You know, I wish more of them were staying or had more eligibility. But, you know, it was a lot of fun watching these new guys make the immediate immediate impact. And from my point of view, you know, kind of were immediately fan favorites because of that. And it was a lot of fun to watch. So, you know, shout out to those guys that transferred in. We loved having you all here. For some of you that are leaving, some of you that still have eligibility, excited to see you continue working with BYU. Absolutely. And if you look at the offensive possessions, Virtually every single play, the ball touched a transfer player's hands, with that being either the quarterbacks or all of the receivers, even Keelan Marion and Darius Lasseter both as well. Every single time the ball was in somebody's hands, it was usually going through a transfer player's hands. And so it's really nice to see BYU being able to kind of keep up with the college game and what it is now and being able to draw impact players from the portal, which we know that we're going to need this year as well to fill some holes of guys leaving, especially at the quarterback position and things like that. And so it's nice to see that BYU has a formula to be able to go out and get guys like that that are able to make impacts immediately for the team next year. Now, with with this all said, we, we want to go ahead and move on from that and sort of segue into our special guest interview that we were able to do with one player that I think deserves all the love from BYU fans. We had the awesome opportunity to interview Aiden Robbins, one of those transfers that we mentioned before that made that immediate impact on the team. Um, it was a super fun interview. We did it the other day, um, separate from this recording. So we're going to go ahead and input that interview here and we'll turn it over to that. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we have a super exciting guest on this week's episode joining us today is the man himself, Aiden Robbins. Aiden, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, Dylan. I appreciate you for having me. Now, just, just to get started, we, we want to start off with some lighter questions before we dive too deep into the football topic. But starting mm -hmm. off, our favorite questions we like to ask people and the questions we're curious to hear from you. First, what is your all-time favorite movie? If you had to choose one movie that's an all-time favorite, which movie would you say? Um, you know, that's a tough one, man. There's so many good movies out. Um, I'm really kind of like an old movie guy. So in my opinion, the best movies were the 80s to the 2000s. Um, I mean, obviously there's good movies that come out nowadays, but we let's be honest here, man. Like, 
the older movies got are the best ones by far. Um, but I'm gonna go with the trilogy. I'm gonna go with uh, Back to the Future, the whole trilogy. And I will say a close runner-up or maybe potential tie is uh, the Star Wars trilogy with my favorite uh, installation in that being uh, Episode Three. Man, I, I love I love that choice because that's that's peak cinema in my opinion. Like Thanks. old school Star Wars. That's that's my stuff. I'm I'm a huge Star Wars guy, so I love that you brought up Star Wars specifically and Back to the Future. Great one too. You can never go wrong with that. Love it. Yep. Now my next my next question for you is let's let's move this to currently just right now, right this moment. You know, we have Spotify wrapped or Apple Music recap, whatever it is, going out right now. What would you say is your favorite song currently that's just your go-to? You need to pick me up, you need motivation, whatever it is. What's your go-to favorite song right now? Oh, oh that's hard. So, yeah, we, we can go off the statistics. Um, okay, so, yeah, Spotify wrapped, came out. Um, top artist was Rod Wave. Uh, second to Rod Wave was Future for me. A um, couple years ago, Future was my number one. Actually, Future's my number one every year except for this year. And, like, one year I was, like, Future's top, like, 0.01% of listeners. Okay, okay. <laughs> so, um, that's hard. But I would say my top song right now, or this year my top song was You'll Find the One by Rilo Rodriguez. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's a pretty good song. I like it. Cool. I, I dig it. I like it a lot. Awesome. All right, now one one last question before we switch focus to football stuff is if you could just share one thing about yourself that not a lot of people know, whether it's you know fun fact, maybe a hidden talent, anything random, whatever you want to share. But if you could share one thing that not a lot of people know about you, what would it be? Um, I would say something that not a lot of people know about me is that I like to dress. Um, I've kind of developed that habit. I didn't. I wasn't always like this. I didn't always, you know, there was a point where I, like, I really didn't care. I mean, obviously, I like to look nice, but um, I feel like kind of coming to Utah and not having as much stuff to do, you know, I've kind of um, kind of helped me find myself and find different hobbies, you know, in my time here. And uh, I feel like, like, dressing and, you know, shopping and getting clothes is one of those things. You know, when you when you look good, you feel good, right? No doubt. Now, I may need to uh, reach out to you some point in the future to help me get right with my outfits because I think my wife would appreciate that more than anyone. She's kind of tired of the Nike shorts every day. Yeah, it, it, I don't know. I'm not going to lie. I think I get it from my mom. My mother's, uh, she's really big and she likes fashion and interior design and stuff like that. So I think I get it from her. <laughs> love it. Love it. Now, moving on to the football side of things a little bit here you know you transferred in from UNLV um I'm I'm curious what was that recruitment experience like for you from the BYU side of things what kind of drew you here what what was that overall experience for you like uh well what kind of drew me close to BYU is just the relationships man and that's really ultimately what this whole thing is about it's what college football is about it's about relationships and developing lifelong relationships with people that you really care about and have your best interests at heart. And um, <clears throat> I feel like that kind of defined my decision for me was the relationships because, you know, BYU recruited me out of high school as well. And, you know, I had I had been developing a relationship with um, with Coach Kalani and 
Coach Harvey over the past few years. You know, that's that's one of the things I don't think a lot of BYU fans necessarily realize was that, you know, you I believe it lists on 24-7, you went on an official visit to BYU back in high school. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I I personally was not aware of that all the time, and I'm sure a lot of BYU fans are just learning that now, hearing that for the first time, but that's awesome. We I know for sure we love having you here at BYU. You know, you're that difference maker, you're a high energy guy, and personally I've loved having you here at BYU. Yeah, uh, my yeah. my next question for you, Aiden, is how has your experience at BYU been different than your time at UNLV and at Louisville? Um I would say the biggest thing is resources, man. Um coming out here to Utah and uh BYU is it's it's insane, man. Like yeah, I played at University of Louisville. We were a power five program. Um, you know, it was in the city of Louisville. You know, great fan base or whatever, but nothing nothing I've been around is compares to this. BYU is not just a local school. BYU is global. So um <laughs> yeah, the fan base is global. I mean the church runs from here to Japan, man. Um so like it's just the love is, is international, man. I really love it. And not to mention, I mean, that's part of the reason I came here was to enroll in the MBA school here, um, <clears throat> here at the Marriott School of Business, and um, to to make connections because I knew that was something I'd be able to do at BYU. And um, I've done a pretty good job of it since I've been here. And, man, I've just been trying to take advantage of all the resources that are here. Love that, and it's it's setting you setting yourself up for success in the future, even even after your days at BYU are over. I love that. Now, kind of building off of that question, you know, you have been all over with Vegas, with Louisville. I'm curious, what's been kind of the biggest surprise to you about living in Utah specifically and in Provo? Um, one thing I can say is. There's not a whole lot of lights on the freeways here, which is kind of crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty dark here, and there's only one freeway, like, in the whole state. That's kind of crazy to me, too. Um, it's just so open out here, man. Like, it's beautiful. Like, I really, I, honestly, I love it here, truly. And part of that is just because, like, it's just so much untouched land out here, man. It's like, wow. Like, back home, I mean, yeah, we have a bunch of land in Kentucky, well, I'm from the city though, so <laughs> not like an entire lot of that, and it's no no mountains. Um, I mean, we have mountains, but they're you know they're the little mountains. Those are like hills, and we got a lot of <laughs> yep. trees and stuff like that. But here it's just open land and mountains. It's just it's just so beautiful, man. I was just on my back porch about 20 minutes ago looking at the sunset. So yeah, it's uh, it's it's lovely, man. And not to mention, it's so clean out here. The uh the streets are clean. The people are nice. It's good food out here. I wish I had more soul food, but everything else is 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 good, man. So, uh, I, I love it, man. Shout out to Chubby's. That's the best restaurant around. For sure, yeah. Huge huge shout out to Chubby's. They got good food yeah. there. If, if you're a listener and you haven't been there, you need to be there. That, <laughs> that place is awesome. You with you being you know a transfer in here, you've only had you know one season here. I'm curious to hear from you, though, just through through this past season, there are so many ups and downs, just like if every other season. But what I love really focusing on is just highlights. So not specifically like, you know, crazy highlight plays, not like highlight film, whatever, but more of just personal favorite highlights, personal favorite moments. 
So for you, Aiden, what would you say was your personal favorite moment from the season, whether that is a play, maybe it's just, you know, a specific moment that comes to your mind, but what was your favorite moment from this season? Um, I would say the Texas Tech game, it was really my it was really my first game playing all year, if I'm being honest. I mean, the first two games, I, you know, I, I had an injury. Obviously, I was playing through, and I wasn't at full strength. But, you know, I, I made a couple of plays. But Texas Tech was really a game where I, like, started to feel like myself again. And, you know, I was getting turned, and I was getting the ball multiple times. And, you know, I just, I just felt like me. I was getting my groove back, and. We we just we beat them on all phases of the game, and that was that was probably one of my favorite moments. That was that was one of those games that I wish I personally could have been there for. I was not able to make it out to that one, but that one, well, Lavelle Edwards was bumping for that game too. That was a fun game. Oh yeah, Lavelle Edwards was bumping every week. Uh, that that and that leads perfectly into my next question. Actually, it's it's always going crazy, but what what was your first impression of playing in Lavelle Edwards Stadium? Just wow, like <laughs> I've played. I mean, I've played in some, you know, some some pretty big stadiums over the course of my career, and I would say they're pretty loud. But man, Lavelle Edwards is just different, dude. And I I loved it, man. It's just it's just crazy. It's like wow, this is the, it's it, like you can't even say that I play. I mean, hell, I've played at Florida State. I mean, NC State, like. um, you know all the all the big schools in the ACC, and it's just like Lavelle Edwards doesn't compare. Hell, we even went to Texas, man. I mean, <laughs> Lavelle Edwards is <laughs> is louder than a sold out Texas crowd of a hundred thousand people. That's just, that says a lot right there, and um, it's just it's it's uncomparable, man, to anything else. Maybe NFL stadiums. I've never been to an NFL game, but. I just I just know Lavelle Edwards is one is probably the loudest stadium in the country. And um we just had the best fans. Truly. Win, lose, or draw, they're always there for us. I love it. And and I love that, you know, you guys give us good reasons to be loud, you know. It's very easy to cheer for y'all when you are not only great players on the field, but you're just awesome dudes off the field and you know we're, we're always going to show you love even after your days at BYU, whenever that may be. You know, you always got BYU fans supporting you, and I, I agree. I think that shows at the games. And, you know, the, the funny thing to me is I feel like a guy that got put in the spotlight from Keaton a while back when he was at USC, but he talked about how it's crazy how loud we are while we're all sober too. And that's, yeah. that's personally what I, <laughs> what I love about it is just because it's pure passion. It's not – Nothing influencing it. It's just pure passion and love for the game. Yep, that is that is facts. That's that's the biggest one right there. One one thing I want to point out specifically was, you know, I don't think it's you know any any hidden thing that our run game kind of had a little bit of a struggle towards the beginning of the season, and then you know you guys found your groove with it a little bit more and more. But especially against Oklahoma, I want to point out Oklahoma. You know, we were at home senior day against the top 15 team in Oklahoma, and you have 182 yards on the day. Phenomenal game. I was there at that game, actually, and I I do also have to add in here, I brought my son to that one. He's just over a year old. It's first ever BYU game in person, and you put on a show for him. So I personally am biased. That's my favorite game of the year. But I'm, I'm curious, Aiden, in your mind, is there any type of, you know, 
change in that game, maybe a switch, maybe there's nothing, maybe it's just how the game ended up going, but what kind of do you feel like brought success for the past few, the last few games of the season, and especially that Oklahoma game for the run game specifically? Um, you know, that's, that's a really good question. I mean, there's really not a whole lot we changed, um, other than the fact that, uh, I feel like kind of when I came back from my injury, we, you know, we saw that inside zone, mid zone was working for us. That was the most successful run scheme that we had. And, um, you know, we practiced, we practiced that more. And, uh, <laughs> it honestly just came down to the boys going out there and executing, man. Um, it wasn't rocket science. It wasn't anything special that we did that we literally nothing, man. We just went out there. Um, and the game plan was really just put the ball in my hands. And, you know, we, we did that and we had success. You know, building off building off your strengths, right? And, yeah. you know, Chris, Chris, my friend that hosts this with me, he, he actually brought up a stat that in, I believe, is the last three games – you averaged over about six yards a carry, I think. If if I'm not wrong, Chris will probably correct me if I got that wrong. But you you really seem to find your groove towards the end of the season, specifically. And you know, personally for us, that was so fun to see. You know, coming coming into the season, we had you know a lot of hype for you. We were excited to root you on. And then you had the injury, and that's super unfortunate. And the fact that you were able to get back from that, get back to yourself. You know, you mentioned specifically Texas Tech. I, I remember that specifically, too, being the game where, you know, I was like, yes, this is this is the eight in that we know is here. And we started seeing the potential around the offense a little bit more. So I, I love hearing that. You know, sometimes it does come down to execution. And again, it it was fun to watch, man. We as fans, I think we really enjoyed watching you find that success. No, no doubt. I appreciate it, man. Well, Aiden, I just have a couple more questions for you, and then I'm going to let you go. Um, yeah. This this next one, kind of just flashback maybe to when you were younger. I, I don't know what the answer is for you, but when it's all said and done, what really made you decide to play football? My father, because uh, my dad played ball, and um, just my father, his love, I, I always knew he had love and passion for the game and it was just um you know it rubbed off on me and then you know I was always around him he was always watching football and that's kind of how we bonded and so I think that's you know what made me fall in love with the game because I really wasn't in love with football when I first did it you know when I first got into it but once I sat once I kind of found out a natural talent for it you know when you're good at something as a kid you're like okay like I kind of like this thing so you know, we always played in the backyard growing up and stuff. And now, like, I really got into football. <laughs> and, um, yeah, man, I mean, once I really got into it and I just, you know, kept watching it and thinking to myself, like, I, I could really be pretty good at this. And it's just natural. It just felt natural to me. Um, that's kind of when I fell in love with the game. Now, my, my next question is if you could choose one player – in the game right now that you would like to model your game after or that you already do model your game after, who would that be? Um, I was, there's a few guys actually. Um, <laughs> the first being Derrick Henry, that's been my kind of, I ain't gonna say my idol, but you know, when I was in high school and he was at Alabama, just seeing a running back, I know it's been running backs my size before, but seeing someone, you know, kind of built like me and runs like me, um, you know, it, it 
it was uh, kind of motivational for me, man, honestly, especially at that point in my career, because I'm like, okay, I can do this. And, you know, obviously there's people in my ear like, oh, you're too big to play running back. Uh, oh, you're going to play linebacker. You're a tight end or a DN. And everyone just telling me what, what I can and can't do. And um, <clears throat> it was just inspiring for me to see him play. And then, um, obviously, watching older guys before Derrick Henry, you know, I'm growing up. My dad's old school, so I always watch, like, Eric uh, – excuse me, yeah. Um, <clears throat> I always watch, like, Eric Dickerson, Eddie George, Earl Campbell, you know, guys like that, a bigger stature. And then, obviously, smaller backs like Barry Sanders, uh, you know, Alvin Kamara. Um, <clears throat> God, there's so many, but <laughs> just, you know, you know what I mean. But – um. Just yeah, just various running backs growing up. Um, LT was a big favorite of mine growing up, and so um, those are those are people that really inspired me to continue to play the position I do. Now I I have two more questions actually. I I add a couple a more a few more than a couple, but um, this this next question actually I I feel like I have to ask because it comes from my dad. Actually, I let him know that we were doing an interview with you. He's a huge BYU football fan, huge fan of yours. And he wanted to hear from you. Um, what's been your favorite part of playing in the Big 12 specifically, in the Big 12 Conference? Just the gauntlet, man. Just every week I know that there's no cupcakes. Every week you're playing a team that can, has, or is in the top 25. Um, so, yeah, man, I mean, every week is a test. <laughs> Especially once you get into conference plays, no weeks off, man. You know that you could win or lose in, in every game. There's no gimmies. So that was really my favorite part about playing in the um, about playing in the Big Twelve. To be the best, you got to beat the best, right? Of course. Awesome. Well, the final question I want to end off here with is just really to you: if you could give any advice to the young athletes out there that are trying to make it at the college level or even the high school level, what advice would you give to them now? Uh, just keep working, man. Uh, stay the course. There's obviously going to be tough times and times that you kind of lose, um, what should I say? Um, I don't want to say lose faith, but you do kind of lose a little bit of confidence in yourself. It's going to happen, but um, just stay stay true to your craft, man. Keep going. And the biggest thing is just believing in yourself. If you believe you can do it, you can achieve anything you put your mind towards. I love that. And I love it because I, I have a younger brother who is 12 years old. Huge athlete, basketball, football, soccer, you name it, he's into yeah. it. So it's great advice for kids like him. Well, Aiden, we really appreciate you taking the time to join us today. You know, we we love having you as a newer player this past season. We loved watching you. We wish you nothing but the best. You know, we, we know you have some decisions you have to make coming up, but we just know no matter what route you go, you're going to find success. You're an awesome dude. We really appreciate your time and – have anything else you want to add before we wrap up today? Go Cougs. Awesome. Love it. Well, that was Aiden Robbins. Thank you all so much for listening to this portion of the podcast. And now we're going to turn it back over to Dylan and Chris for the rest of this episode. Fantastic. Well, again, we really appreciated Aiden taking that time to do that interview with us. Like I said, he's just such a great guy. He was very quickly a fan favorite. And one thing that I think not a lot of fans got to see as much as I got to see in that interview is just really how personal, personable and, you know, how good of a guy Aiden really is. 
He's one of those dudes that comes into the program and not only makes an immediate impact on the field, but off the field as well, makes BYU and Utah a little bit better of a place. And we we're very happy for the time he had here. He has some decisions to make coming up and, you know, I'm sure he'll announce those decisions once they have been made, but no matter what his decision is, you know, I I'm super happy that we were able to have this past season with him. Wish he didn't have that injury he was dealing with. So we could have seen a little bit more of his full potential in this offense but even the even the limited time that we were able to see him on the field, it was a blast getting to watch him, and it was a blast getting to interview him. Yeah, big shout-out to Aiden Robbins, uh, especially for coming on the podcast, just kind of chopping it up, letting Cougar Nation know exactly what's going on there and giving us some insight into the season. I was a little bit sad that I missed out on the interview itself. I would have loved to talk to him, but he's, he's a great guy. Aiden Robbins is really great. He's a great guy that BYU – wants to have he's the kind of player that if BYU could have every single guy be just like him we would have a fantastic team and so big shout out to Aiden Robbins there and yeah we wish him the best of luck and whatever decision he makes we'll be cheering him on no matter what I I like that you specifically said if we had a team full of Aiden Robbins we would win a lot more we'd have a great team and I, I think that's especially true and we saw as he started to get healthy he mentioned that in the interview you know the Texas Tech game was specifically the first time he felt like himself and I I just I just wish we we got to see a little bit more of him being closer to that 100% this past season and you know my biased or selfish hope is that he comes back so we can see him one more year at BYU but like you said no matter what his decision is always going to support him he has fans for life in us and I'm sure with the rest of Cougar Nation. Now on on that topic of, you know, who is going to be coming back, who will not be coming back, there there are a few players that we do want to point out specifically that have already made that decision and have announced some that are transferring out, some that are entering the draft, all those fun things that are happening in the college football world right now here at the end of the season. Um so so let's talk a little bit about that like I said before, Tyler Batty, he did announce that he is staying for another year. So Tyler Batty's not going anywhere. And it sounds like Darius Lasseter is coming back for one more year as well. Aiden Robbins, who we just heard from, hasn't really decided yet. Up in the air on that, so we'll be able to see on that in a little bit. Guys that we are losing for sure. Isaac Rex, Keaton Slovis, Eddie Heckard, and Camden Garrett are all out. They are all graduated, moving on to better things. Hopefully the draft, hopefully NFL teams pick them up and find a use for them there. There's some good players in there. In terms of the transfer portal, we have already lost six players. We lost both of the Daily Brothers, Soljay Maiava. Uh, Miles Davis just barely today entered the transfer portal. Just found out about that about an hour ago. Austin Riggs, the long snapper, he's out. He's got one year of eligibility. That one confused me a little bit, but we do wish him the best wherever he goes as well. And the final one in Dom Henry. Yeah, so so far the transfer portal is in its early stages. We have a few guys leaving. We're starting to interview and starting to do visits with guys that could transfer in. And so this is the very, very early stage of the transfer portal. We are going to see it pick up a lot here, especially as bowl season moves on. And once the bowl games are over, you're going to see a lot of guys enter the portal. A lot of guys start making commitments to other schools, all things like that. So this is just your very first little taste of transfer portal off season. Absolutely. And you know, that, that, that list doesn't even include all of the players that are graduating. That list on senior day was very long. You know, we also have guys like AJ Vongpachan who are just graduating, don't have any more eligibility. Um, 
you, you mentioned Isaac. I think Isaac might actually have one more year of eligibility, but he was asked after the Oklahoma game if he is going to be using it, and he's not planning on it. So, you know, we, we don't expect to see him back. Hopefully an NFL team picks him up like you mentioned. But, yeah, like you, like you said, this is just the very early stages of the transfer portal. But I want to give BYU fans kind of an ins- or kind of a glimpse of what we are looking at right now in terms of the transfer portal. And I want to compare us with another team that I know BYU fans care about with this transfer portal. But BYU currently has six portal six players in the portal currently, I believe. And Utah, the University of Utah, has last I heard 13 or 14 players in the portal. So it is for sure different for each team with how fast people enter the portal from their team. But I think a lot of that does depend on maybe coaching changes. It might also depend on, you know, players they already know are coming in from recruitments, from other transfers, things like that. So, you know, like you said, this is going to be a roller coaster of an offseason. We do have a lot of players that we do need to find replacements for that are leaving us. So, you know, be on the lookout for that. Um, with that said, though, we, we also want to talk a little bit about what we actually need because there there are a lot of players that we are losing to the portal or to graduation, to the league, so on and so forth. So so let's talk a little bit about what specific positions we think we're going to need actual replacements for, you know, where we already have maybe the replacement there, where we might want to pull from the portal. So I, I want to go ahead and actually just start with just positions in general, maybe not specific players, but you know, Chris, where, where are some spots that you are thinking we might need to be looking into the portal for, for pulling guys in? Yeah. So obviously the biggest position that is kind of on everybody's mind is the quarterback spot. We're going to get into that a little bit later. Um, I like our running backs. I think we could add maybe a receiver or two in the portal, depending on that. I think the biggest things are going to come on the defensive side of the ball though. I think the defensive line needs some type of quarterback pressure, some type of guy that can rush off the edge and is really elite at getting to quarterbacks. We have a lot of good defensive linemen. Like I said, Jackson Cravens and the interior defensive linemen were doing great in the run game. Tyler Batty's great on the edge, but we're just lacking that one really elite edge rusher that can get to the quarterback, create a lot of pressure without needing to blitz all the time and do things like that. So I think that's a big need. And replacing Max Tooley on the defensive side of the ball, you would love it if Harrison Taggart could step up if Ben Bywater comes back healthy, but losing both AJ and Max Tooley is going to be a little bit of a stress on trying to replenish the defense and, of course, defensive back as well. So we're just getting every single facet of the game on defense. Would love to bring in safety so that whatever happened this year with our magical rush of injuries where we have however many five, six guys go down at a time. We have guys that can step in and the cornerback room with losing some of our guys there as well. It'll just be interesting to see what we bring in. And I think Jay Hill is going to want a lot of guys that he can kind of plug and play into his system and really get the kind of the horses that he needs to be able to be the jockey of that defense and command them all to become a little bit better than we saw this year. Cause we saw flashes of greatness, but it wasn't there very consistently. And there were games that we got gashed pretty bad. And so I'd love to see exactly what goes on on the defensive side of the ball. Absolutely. I do. I do agree a lot there with that defense needing a lot. And at the very least, just for the sake of depth, we do have guys that are starting level. Harrison is going to get to that level as he you know, gets more experience. He was starting for us towards the end of the season. He, he, he will get there. 
But I, I do agree, too, that we just need some more depth there as well because injuries happen in football. Great P5 teams have that depth, though, and that's why not everybody is as drastically affected as it felt like we were this season. So that that's the big thing is just getting that depth with guys who are almost starting caliber or close to it type of players that can go in back up if needed for injury. Um, I do also want to add that I do think the Aiden Robbins decision will actually affect if we go for a transfer portal running back at all, again, for the sake of more depth, just especially because we lost Miles Davis and Soljay Mayava, who switched positions to running back this past season. You know, both of them are leaving through the portal. So I do think it might be needed to pull in maybe one other guy just for the sake of depth there. Um, haven't seen a ton of running backs enter the portal yet, though. So it'll be interesting to see how that all kind of works out there. Um, in terms of tight ends, actually, I want to talk a little bit about that. That's that's one position I think is slightly overlooked right now by a lot of fans. But the, the big storyline, I think, around that is just losing Isaac Rex because he was always our go-to at the tight end position. And we have dudes coming in who are going to be able to you know, be playing with Reiner Swanson. We have um, Bowers in there already who played with us this past season who, you know, held on to his redshirt, I think, too, luckily. But those dudes are young. So one other position that I think is a little bit overlooked that might be worth looking into is possibly a tight end. I mean, we, we have quite a few tight ends type of players that – or we have quite a few players in the tight end room, but none of them that are as big or as good as Isaac – so I, I would either hope one of our younger guys really makes a big step this next season or we find someone who has already proven that is, you know, ready to step up as our starter at the tight end position next season. Um, so so that, that is one that I am kind of loosely keeping my, on, my eye on that could be a little bit interesting this offseason. And that is interesting because you said fans are overlooking it. And that's exactly how I was, too. I was always just like, yeah, Isaac Rex, okay, cool. Now it's kind of reconciling the fact that Isaac Rex is gone. You have to prepare for life after that, where the tight end room isn't just solidified before the season even starts. So that's a good point you get there. And and it's especially going to be interesting to see because, um, and we'll, we'll go over this as well in here in just a moment, but we, we do have some coaching changes as well on the offensive side of the ball. We lose our tight end coach and coach Clark. That was very disappointing. I think a lot of BYU fans were shocked about that. From what we've heard, um, it sounds like he was fired. I, I originally had thought maybe it was him walking away, but it sounds like he was fired, which is slightly concerning to me. Um, hoping we have a good plan for who will be taking his spot there. And then, of course, just the offensive line coach in general as well. So I, I think that will also be a big role in not only the offensive line, but specifically who we have at tight end next season. And, you know, we, we got to do our work to find someone to replace the huge role that Isaac Rex played in this team in years previous. But now revisiting the big focus of any football team. I mean, there's a reason this is the big focus of any football team, but let's talk a little bit about the quarterback situation here. Because we had Keaton Slovis come in for one final year play for us. He was dealing with injury, maybe a little bit disappointing of a season. Um, and then we had Jake Retzloff step in as the starter for the rest of the season, kind of give us a glimpse of what we had coming up here. And I think, you know, the reality of the situation is either way, no matter who is going to be starting, I do think we need to pull in a transfer portal quarterback. And there are a few options that we have already offered, but let's talk a little bit about that and kind of what our options 
look like. So Chris, what's kind of your analysis on what our options realistically are looking into next year? Um, maybe what type of quarterback are we looking in? What type of role are we looking for in a quarterback from the portal? So what, what's your analysis of the quarterback room right now? Yeah, so the quarterbacks right now are a little bit interesting. There's some really big names in the portal, and then there's a lot of kind of smaller names. But I think what BYU is looking for, at least some of the reports I've heard, is that they're looking for a guy that has preferably multiple years of eligibility. They don't really want to go with the one-and-done quarterback like we did Keaton Slovis. And they're looking for somebody with a little bit of mobility because we saw that with Jake Retzlav, the play calling and the offense looked a lot smoother while he was playing, even though there were some issues with putting the ball on the ground, kind of turnover-worthy plays, and kind of an inability to throw the ball consistently. And so you're kind of looking for a guy that can throw the ball relatively consistently, but can also get out using his legs. And so BYU did offer Ohio quarterback Curtis Rourke. He's a six foot five, 230-pound guy that played for Ohio. He's He's an interesting guy. He didn't really throw for a ton of yards, 11 touchdowns, five interceptions, and he added four more touchdowns on the ground. It's it's something, but I don't think that's really what gets the job done. There's been rumors about Boise State quarterback Taylor Green, Michigan State's quarterback Sam Levitt, and in terms of that, from all the guys that I've seen so far, I'm probably the biggest fan of Sam Levitt out of Michigan State. He's got a bunch of years of eligibility. He's just brand new, I think one year out of high school, and I think he could have used his red shirt this last year. But great player in high school, really exciting. He's got the legs. He's got the ability to pass. He only threw about 22 passes this last year, but he would be an interesting get. He doesn't bring the veteran presence. He doesn't bring the established quarterback kind of vibe, but it is nice to have guys that have talent. And that's what I believe that Sam Levitt has. Yeah, I, I agree there entirely. And that's that's kind of, you kind of explained a little bit of my, I'll call it a Christmas list for quarterbacks in the portal right now. Um, there, In my opinion, there are two directions that we realistically could go to set ourselves up for success in the long run. Um, first of all, we, we could get a guy from the portal, have a similar situation to Keaton where, not necessarily one and done, but where they come in and they're the starter almost immediately. If we get that caliber of a player, great. And that's what I think we could get from Sam Levitt or from Taylor Green even. You know, Taylor Green, he led Boise State to a Mountain West Conference championship this season. They they had their coaching issues. He's dealt with injuries, so it was a bit of an up-and-down season for him. But he finished the season really, really well. He really is a good player. He's, you know... He really is a P5 quarterback caliber player, in my opinion. So I would not mind getting him at all. Um, I think if we get any of those two players, they could very well be our starter next season. The, the, the other route we could go here is getting a quarterback like the one you mentioned, Curtis Rourke, who's maybe a little bit less proven, less P5 experience, and have a little bit of a QB competition going on. I think, though, if we go that direction, my hope would be we have a player that's already in the system. Specifically, my hope would be Ryder Burton, who would fit really well in our play style and who can develop, can really take advantage of the QB competition to help him develop as a player. And then, honestly, just he's a young guy with a lot of eligibility. He's one of those dudes that we really could develop and be kind of the next Zach Wilson, where not in terms of skill level, but just in the fact where he's a young guy we develop, get him starting to get reps and just see that exponential growth. 
come from him getting that experience. So those are realistically, in my mind, the two directions that we could go there is either finding a guy to at least bring the QB competition with Ryder or finding a guy to completely take over the offense. I, I will also add, though, you brought up Sam Levitt. You know, it has been confirmed that we have officially offered Sam Levitt. He has offers from us, from Utah, Oregon State, Washington State, Arizona State. So he has a lot of offers, but it sounds like we are making a push for him. Um, out, outside of that official offer to him and also an official offer to Rourke, it's mostly just rumors that we've seen around Taylor Green and even Sam Levitt both having official visits scheduled with BYU, I believe, this weekend. Um, that that's kind of rumors. I, I'm not sure if that's officially confirmed yet, but we are making a push for those guys. So Chris, my question for you then is we're talking about these quarterbacks, these different situations that we might work through these different routes we could go. I want to ask you two questions. First, if you could choose who starts for us at quarterback next year, next season, reasonably within those guys that we talked about, who would you choose? And then who is your prediction of realistically what you think will actually happen of who we get to start for us next season in our first game against Southern, Southern Illinois? So you're saying I can't pick DJ Uyunglele as our starting quarterback next year? I mean, hey, we, we made a push for him last season apparently and then left him for Keaton, but let's let's say no for this time. All right. Well, if I had to pick one for next season – I think I would lean on Sam Levitt. I mentioned that a little bit earlier. I know he's unproven. I know he hasn't really started at the P5 level or even FBS level, but I do think that he would make for a good quarterback, especially with Aaron Roderick being able to coach him up in spring ball and all throughout however long we have with him. I think he could become a great starter for BYU. So I would pick Sam Levitt as mine. Awesome. And is that your official prediction of who you think will be starting for us? That is my official prediction as well. Yes, just given the information we have right now, I would be excited to see what other quarterbacks enter the portal. I think there are going to be a few that are either playing in bowl games right now that want to finish out that game with their team that will come in the portal, and that will be interesting to keep an eye on as well. But as of right now, yes, my prediction is Sam Levitt. Now, I'm just for my answer here, I'm going to go pretty much the same direction. Ideally, I I would pick Sam Levitt, actually, if I had the pick here. I mean... As a prospect, he was a four-star. As a transfer, he has dropped down to a three-star, but he is still a really good player. Um, like you said, he would fit in really well with A-Rod's system here. He he makes me kind of think of a little bit like Baylor Romney, just in his play style, where he, he is a good pocket passer, but when he needs to, he can roll out, and he does have the speed and athleticism too. And I think in a system where he gets more opportunity to do so, he could thrive even more. Um, but I, I do think where he has so many other offers, I think it is going to take a hard push to get him. So I, I unfortunately don't see us getting him entirely. My prediction that I feel like is more reasonable is getting Talon Green. I think he's another type of player that fits perfectly in with A-Rod's system. He has a little bit more familiarity with BYU. And I think just overall with having some other Boise State connections, that have transferred over to BYU with having coaches that left Boise State for BYU. I, I think we are more likely to succeed with a push for Taylor Green, which I would not be disappointed that direction either. You know, I feel like a lot of BYU fans have mixed opinions on him because of his up and down season. But I personally, I think he would be a great fit here. I think he would play really well for us. And I think he is a really good quarterback. 
So if I had to choose, if I had my pick, it would be Sam Levitt. Um, but my actual prediction of who I think real, realistically will be starting for us, I would say Taylor Green. Yeah, like you said, he would be a great option as well. A-Rod would make him fit in very well, and he would be able to have a really good offense at BYU here. So I'm sure that whatever the coaching staff ends up deciding on and whoever we get is going to be able to make a pretty good impact. And I'm excited to see what comes of next year because I think we have good quarterbacks already on the roster as well and guys like Ryder Burton and things like that. So it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out, who we bring in what the competition is like during spring ball, if we have a competition even going into the fall, anything like that. So should be fun to keep following along with the news there. Absolutely. And that's part of the fun of the off season. That's why it's never 100% not football season because there is always the off season with the portal, with spring camp and fall camp. So it'll definitely be interesting to see how this all plays out for BYU. Now, one, one last topic I do want to touch on. I know we're kind of going long with the football talk, but one last thing that I do want to touch on, just because it's relevant to today, um, it has officially been announced that one of the coaches that has been rumored to be interviewing for the offensive line coach position at BYU will not be taking it, and that is our very familiar name of Jeff Grimes, um, if somehow you missed it, there was a lot of talk about Jeff Grimes interviewing here. Um, essentially, we we can confirm he did interview. Um, it, it wasn't necessarily an interview as much as just we kind of offered him and then it was just kind of talking through what his role would be, his responsibilities, his pay, all those you know logistic details there. And it was actually announced today that he has officially been hired on as the offensive coordinator at the University of Kansas. Um, so he is, he's no longer in the running for the offensive coordinator position here at BYU. And I feel like that receives a lot of mixed opinions from BYU fans as well. A lot of fans liking what he brought to BYU in the past. A lot of fans that are okay with just moving on from him. I'm curious what your thoughts are on that, Chris. Yeah, I was always kind of in the camp of I wanted somebody new, somebody fresh that hadn't been in the program before, hadn't seen how we'd done things. It kind of brings their own fire and their own scheme with them. So that we kind of have a, a differing of opinions and can work through that to be able to get the best offense possible. And so I was never really on the Grimes train back at BYU, especially with the way that Baylor's played this year and how really bad that their whole run game and offense has been in general. I was kind of excited for some new blood. And so hearing that Grimes is taking the Kansas job didn't really make me all that upset because I was hoping for somebody else anyway. Yeah, I, I agree there. I feel like if if it had gone through and we ended up with him, great. I feel like almost anybody that we get here is going to be an upgrade than what we've seen in the past. And so the fact that we're looking for someone at that caliber makes me happy. But I kind of agree where I think new blood here is the best way to go. Find someone who is looking to prove themselves and kind of solidify themselves in a team. Maybe be looking to, you know, get promoted from within this team. And the other thing that I kind of pointed out, I talked about it on Twitter, but I think the case here that we are kind of seeing is this is actually kind of why I wanted to not hire Grimes in the first place. He had an off season with Baylor this past year and the year before. He has not been great at Baylor. It's kind of been disappointing with him there, as you mentioned before. And he still just got an offensive coordinator option offered to him by Kansas. And so to me, what that tells me is even if he came here being willing to take a little bit lower of a position as the offensive line coach, 
he would still be receiving those offensive coordinator positions and he still entertains them anytime they come. So I, I feel like if we did end up getting him, we'd be in the same boat we're in now in just a season or two where he gets a better offer, whether that's somewhere in Texas, which it was very clear he wanted to get to Texas in the first place when he was here at BYU or a place like Kansas where they need a new guy quickly because they fire their offensive coordinator or their offensive coordinator gets hired on somewhere else. A lot of that going on in the coaching carousel right now. So we need to find a guy who's going to be there for us consistently for a longer term, a longer period of time, a more long-term type of focus. And I, I think one name that I want to bring up specifically that has been talked about is Mitchell, the offensive um, line coach from New Mexico. New Mexico has had a great season this year. They beat Auburn. They're playing in a bowl game. They they won Conference USA, or they they almost won Conference USA against Liberty, I think it was actually. But he's he's a good coach that's proven he can bring in guys. Their offensive line was great, and I think he is looking for a long-term destination at the P5 level. So that's one name specifically I want to throw out there of someone I would prefer to get. All right, well, that is all for our football review. There is a lot to talk about, and I'm sure that's not going to be the end of us talking football on this podcast between now and next season. There's, I'm sure there's going to be some things to talk about when we fight, when we hire our new coaches, when we get a transfer portal player. I'm sure we'll have an episode coming soon with all of those details, but that's kind of it for talking football for this past season. We are ready to move on. And moving on from football, I want to talk about basketball. It is officially basketball season. The season tipped off. And let's talk about this BYU basketball team because I think it's catching a lot of people by surprise. So what what are your thoughts on this BYU basketball team this season so far? Yeah, you said we're catching people by surprise. Are you sure that most BYU fans didn't expect us to be number one in net? In the primary (laughs) sorting tool for the NCAA tournament, we're the number one team in the country. You You didn't expect that? Come on. But no, in all seriousness, this team has by far exceeded expectations. Last year was a little bit disappointing just because we knew that the players on this team could be really good. Obviously, nobody thought that we could be this good, but we knew that we had the guys to be able to be good and we just weren't, which is why a lot of people in the offseason were talking about Mark Pope and if he was the guy or not. I'm sure those people are going to be very loud now about wanting to fire Mark Pope, but Either way, this team has been playing at an elite level, offense, defense, rebounding, shooting, whatever you want, whatever metric you look at, BYU is excelling in that category. And every single guy is just playing unselfish basketball. They're all willing to take open shots. They're making the open shots that they take. It's it's just great to watch. I've had the pleasure of going to a few games so far. I was at the San Diego State game, Fresno State, and a couple of the other games, and This team, there's just something about them that's just really, really different. And so I'm wondering if you're getting that same same feeling. I know we are number one in net, so it's going to feel different. But do you feel it kind of like in the underlying as well, kind of just watching the team? Do they pass your, per se, eye test, as the college football playoff committee would say? No, they, they absolutely do. And looking outside of, you know, our schedule and who we have beaten, just in terms of that eye test stuff, we we pass every aspect that's needed to be a March team. If we want to be playing in March, we have the pieces for it. And there's there's actually a tweet that came out, and I can't remember what exactly the details are or who tweeted it out, but basically there was some computer software that was able to 
measure all of the details of the past 10 championship winning teams or final four teams, whatever, um, from the past 10 seasons and the pieces they had, what they needed in terms of their numbers, their stats. And there is a short list of teams that fit that already so far this season. And BYU was one of them. So are we looking at, you know, I would, I don't know if I'd call a Cinderella team, but a team that can make a run in March, possibly. My, my big thing is consistency. We need to keep that consistency going, but we're proving that we can. Now, I, I love talking about this because, as you said, there are people calling for Pope's job um, during the offseason. We actually had a biased opinion. That was one of our first biased opinions, I think. It might have been the first of if Mark Pope is the guy. And this is exactly what we were talking about. He's the perfect coach for BYU. We just needed to give him time with his guys. He now has his guys brought in. They were all young freshmen or new transfers last season. Last season just had a lot of ups and downs, a lot of learning experiences. And we are seeing the payoffs from that this season. Now, I think a lot of BYU fans kind of get in the football mindset of, oh, the transfer portal is making it so you just need high caliber guys coming in all the time. You can't really grow your team or develop them as much. And as true as that can be at times for football, I think basketball is a completely different animal here. I think the best thing you can do in basketball is get your guys on the court while they are younger, like Dallin Hall and Richie Saunders last season, seeing those meaningful minutes while they were young and getting that experience early on. And then you have an off season like they did where they go travel to Europe, play against some professional Europe teams, have a great off season to build that chemistry. And then you get to the actual season and what we are seeing pay off now is one, individual player performance is phenomenal. We have guys like Jackson Robinson that are going off for 20 points. I think his numbers are 16 points per game, but he's, like in the past few, he's averaging like 20 points a game. We have Spencer Johnson that has stepped up as the leader of this team. He gets us going off with a hot start to every single game. We have Dallin Hall that's making a lot more good decisions, getting a lot more assists with less turnovers. We have Richie Saunders that's developing his game. And the, the list could go on and on. And we're still not even seeing some of our best players all the time. Fusini Traore has been hurt. Dawson Baker has been hurt. These dudes who are supposed to have this huge impact on the team have not been able to even play as much lately. And we are still beating teams by 40 points against Evansville in our last game. So I, I think we have all the makings of a great run this season. Am I going to say we're going to be even sweet 16? No, not yet. We still got to play through the big 12 conference. We still need to keep guys healthy. We got to stay consistent with our shooting, but we've already beat teams like San Diego state, Arizona state, NC state. We're getting these quad one wins already. And we're proving that this team is very, very far improved from last season. And, and that's not even going into depth on the actual chemistry of this team and how well they're playing together. So I, I'm very shocked by this by this team. I didn't think I, I thought we would improve. I didn't think we would improve this much this quickly, but it's it's been fun to watch, man. It's been super fun to watch. Yeah, and going back to what you very first said, we started talking there about the the program that ran all the teams and found the ones closest to the national champions. There is a formula that has predicted 100% of the national champions since 2002. It just gives you a group of teams. Basically the only teams that have won are in the top 40 in Ken Palm's adjusted offense and the top 22 in Ken Palm's adjusted defense. 
Currently, there are nine teams that fit that bill, and BYU is right there in that. We're currently 10th in adjusted offense and 12th in adjusted defense. And so this this formula correctly predicted UConn last year to be one of the teams that could win the championship. And again, 100% of March Madness champions have fit that bill. And so BYU is firmly in that mix. If we can keep this up on offense and defense, just play the way that we have been playing, or at least similar to it. We are one of the teams that has a good shot at being able to compete for a national championship, which is just a wild thing to be able to say about any BYU team, really. So it's fun having expectations. It's probably going to be a little less fun when those expectations go down once we get really into Big 12 play. But as of right now, I'm just living in the moment and loving BYU being number one in that. Now, this, this kind of ties into our biased opinion for today. So let's go ahead and dive into that. It's time for biased opinions. If you're unfamiliar with this segment, we take something that is somewhat of a controversial or debated topic on Twitter, and we add our own biased opinions to it. I mean, everybody has their opinions. They're all biased. We're going to go ahead and talk about our biased opinions. It's time for biased opinions. So today's topic, we are going to talk about the idea of Jackson Robinson on the basketball team coming off the bench. So if you have not been watching so far, our starting lineup lately has been Dallin Hall, Spencer Johnson, Trevin Nell, um, Noah Waterman, and Ali Khalifa. And we have Jackson Robinson coming off the bench. Now, I want to talk a little bit about why BYU fans think it's a good idea to have him start with the numbers he's putting up and why there's the opinion of it maybe being good for him to keep coming off the bench. So just, just starting off at its base, Chris, what is your biased opinion here? Should Jackson Robinson be starting over specifically maybe Trevin Nell, for example? Yeah, my biased opinion is that Jackson Robinson is probably the only player on this BYU team that projects well to the NBA. And he is also probably the best player on the team currently, which given both of those, there's really no reason why he should be coming off the bench. I understand it's working. It's working very well. Gives you a spark off the bench. You're able to come in fresh when the other team's playing their five best guys and they're tired or they have to bring in guys that are a little bit worse and you're playing against that. I do understand all of that. But when you have a guy that leads your team in scoring with 17 points per game is shooting 44% from the three point line on seven attempts per game, you need that out on the court as often as possible for as many minutes as possible. And so that's the only reason why I don't like him coming off the bench is I want to maximize the amount of minutes he can play because I genuinely do believe he is the best player that BYU has and has had in a long time. And I definitely do understand that opinion. I mean, when you have a guy who's shooting like that, it's hard to want to take him off the floor at all. But my my counter here for you is I I prefer to keep him coming off the bench. And let me talk a little bit about why. Because as much as I understand the idea of getting the guy who's, you know, one of our best scorers on the team, our leading scorer on the team on average, and getting him as many minutes as possible, I... I, tie, I kind of take a look at this a little bit differently, and maybe this is because basketball is a sport I played growing up, so maybe this makes just like sense in my head from my experiences I've had playing, which is very different to other people who play. But essentially, in my mind, the way I think of this is 
there are stretches where we have on the court Spencer Johnson, Trevin Nell, Dallin Hall, all dudes that can create their own shot and that can score. I mean, you look at Trevin Nell. Trevin Nell is one of our leading three-point shooting percentages. He has 45% from three-point specifically. He's, he's that guy that's the catch-and-shoot on the corner that's very, very dangerous. You know, the only player that actually shoots pretty consistently and um, is shooting a lot this season that's ahead of him is Dallin Hall at 46.2% from three. So I, I like having Trevin start there because that can help contribute towards a hot start. Now, taking a look at the lineups too as well, when we have players come off the bench, we are typically having lineups where instead of having Spencer, Dallin, and Trevin, we are having Trey Stewart, Richie Saunders, and then we have Jackson Robinson. And the reason I think it's working so well is because Jackson is able to get those shots and get that, what's the word? He's, Jackson's able to get that production because he's not having to share those shots with guys like Dallin Hall, Spencer Johnson, and Trevin Nell. So in my mind, I like having him come off the bench because not only is he going in there matched up against other bench players as a player who is very well the best player on our team, honestly, but I, I also love that when we have our bench go in and we lose some of our shot creators in Spencer Johnson and Dallin Hall, and we have Richie Saunders who, he, Richie is really good. He's just not as good as a sh of a shooter quite yet. He's still working on his shot. I like having that consistency and that reliability of Jackson being in there with them. I mean, you take a look at the Evansville game. We had like 56 points from our starters and 49 from our bench or something like that. That was pretty crazy there. And I think Jackson Robinson is a big, big piece in our bench scoring so many points. And I mean, this, this all started, let's be real. At the beginning of the season, he's a starter. He, he's starting every game at this point if he doesn't get hurt. But he had that injury that he was working through. That's why he came off the bench. He was getting those more limited minutes. But that's when we discovered that that works. And so I'm okay with keeping that going. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, that whole saying. I'm, I'm fine with keeping him off the bench. And I'd rather have him come off the bench and get our bench scoring and then leave him in with the starters. Let him still get a ton of minutes in there. Keep his minute count going more and more as he's you know, staying healthy. But I like having that spark off the bench with Jackson Robinson in those specific lineups. Does that, does that make sense? Did I ramble too much there? No, that makes sense. I do have one question for you, though, then. Uh, yeah. How would you feel about swapping him and Spencer Johnson in the starting rotation? Because Spencer Johnson, six foot five guard, his three point shooting hasn't quite been there yet this season. He's off to a little bit of a slow start at 27%. So yeah. Spencer Johnson at six five still has the length. He still has the size and can create his own shot, like you said. How would you feel about putting in Jackson Robinson from the start and being able to get Jackson Robinson's 45% three-point shooting and his six-foot-eight frame and all of that in there to be able to start off games hot and then bring in Spencer Johnson where Jackson Robinson would be to do all of the things that he does very well because he can create and he can score and get to the rim and do all of that. And usually he has been able to shoot even though this year has been slow. Would you be open to that or would you still prefer Jackson Robinson in that spot over him? I... That, that's a tricky one because I think if we had, if we made that switch and had, you know, Dallin Hall as the main point guard starting for us, 
I do think that would work. I do think Spencer Johnson could bring that from the bench for us as well, especially if he got his shooting back to where we know it can be. My big difference here, though, is in their play style specifically and with who they are surrounded by. Because if we take Jackson Robinson off the bench, then our bench is going to have Trey Stewart, Richie Saunders, and then Spencer Johnson from three-point percentage specifically. And I'm bringing this up a lot because, let's be real, this BYU team kind of lives or dies by the three. But some of our bottom percentages of point guards, three-point shooting percentage, is from that bench. We have Trey Stewart, who is shooting 26% from three. We have Richie Saunders is 30% from three, which isn't terrible, but it's not great. And then we have Spencer Johnson, who is shooting that 27% from three. So, so to me, that's where in this season specifically, I like having Jackson on the bench too, because it brings that three-point threat. Whereas with the starters, Spencer is playing with Dallin Hall, who's at 46% shooting. He's playing with Noah Waterman, who is currently at 44% shooting from three-point. So that kind of evens out that overall three-point percentage for me. Now, in other seasons like last season where Spencer is a lot better from three-point percentage, I would be just fine with that. But this season, I kind of like having his interior threat where he's really good at driving to the hoop. We've seen that a lot. He's good at distributing. But I, I like having that in a mix with other guys who can shoot and then have the guys who are not great shooters have at least one go-to shooter with Jackson. So that's that's my opinion on that side of things specifically. That all makes sense. And yeah, like you said, either way, no matter what we're doing, it is working. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. But I'm sure that BYU would be very good as well with him in the starting lineup. So kind of a fun debate there. Either way is probably going to net some pretty good results. That's just kind of how it is with this BYU team so far. So I love that that's the case, how we have the, the best of two goods rather than the worst of two evils. Absolutely. And and as much as we can talk about this and debate this all season long, this is going to change. I mean, with basketball, those percentages fluctuate up and down all the time. We're also going to get Dawson Baker back, and him being back and 100% healthy is going to change our lineups a lot as well, and that's going to shift things around. Maybe that shifts who we can have on the court at the same time. But like you said, this is a good problem to have to try to figure out if our bench, bench player who's playing lights out should be starting over another starter player who is also playing lights out. So super fun team to watch. Our offense is very borderline elite with the numbers that we're putting up, with the shooting percentages we're putting up. So super fun team to watch. If you haven't gotten out to a game yet, I highly recommend you do if any of you listening out there. Totally worth it, especially in Big 12 play. We are in the best conference for basketball in the entire nation. So we have a cool opportunity to watch a lot of these best teams play against our team and give us a good challenge. Now, one last thing to talk about is BYU's basketball game on Saturday. We have a game that we're not going to do as in-depth of a preview as we did with football here, just because we talked so much about football already. But we do have a big rivalry game coming up this Saturday against Utah. So tip-off for this game is going to be 5 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. We are playing at Utah in Salt Lake. Um, if, if you are not going to that game, you're going to need to figure out a way to watch it on Pac-12 Network. You know, that network that tries to refuse anybody access to actually watch sports. So if you want to be watching that game, you're going to have to figure out a way to watch it from the Pac-12 Network because that's where it's going to be streaming from. Should be a good game. Um, leading up to this week, Utah was projected to win by ESPN. They had 
a 53% chance to win. And now as of today, it has shifted to BYU having a 57% chance to win after Utah only beating SUU by two points earlier this week. So should be a good matchup. It always is for these rivalry games. Just to do a very brief preview here, Chris, I just want to hear from you. What's kind of your overall prediction of who wins, who does good for us, what to expect with Utah? Any preview briefly you want to give on this Utah matchup? Yeah, Utah is very, very tall. They have a lot of really tall players, lots of size on that team, which could be difficult to match up with. But I do think BYU's offensive firepower is going to be able to reign supreme and the guards are going to be able to get space on the outsides. I think BYU wins this one comfortably as well. I think Utah's a solid team, but I think BYU pulls away kind of halfway through the second half. I think we'll be up about 8 to 10 the whole game, and then we'll pull away and win by about 15 points by the end. So that's kind of my prediction for this game. I don't really see it being close, though it could because of the rivalry and because weird things happen in college basketball. But I'm going to predict a BYU win by about 15. I'll give us 87 to Utah's 72. Love that. Love that prediction. And, you know, that's that's kind of the basis of this Utah team is height. Their best player is Brandon Carlson. I think a lot of us BYU fans are familiar with him, especially his dad on social media. But avoiding that fact, um, I, I agree there. I think this is a game that BYU very well can handedly win. You know, the, the big concern I have is not having Foose. I don't think we're going to see him this week. It hasn't been confirmed yet. But the by the by what we're hearing from Mark Pope and just by the overall basis of the facts that we do know I don't see Foos playing this week and even if he does it would be on limited minutes so the only concern that would come up for me there is only having a Tiki and Khalifa as our big man there but I do like what Khalifa brings to the court to stretch the court a little bit more we can play him at the high post even the three-point line give him the ball draw out their big man and then he is lethal with his passes like that dude is the best big man passer in the in the nation right now. I don't care what numbers say. I don't care if someone has more assist than him, whatever. His passes are unreal. He makes point guard level passes as a center. So I like having him in that lineup, even though they would have a huge size advantage. We have more speed, we have better shooting, and we have better passing with him in there. So I, I think it in my in my mind, I see this actually being like a close game at halftime. I'm, I'm just going to predict that it's even at halftime and they're keeping up with us. But the one place that Utah also lacks in is their depth and their bench. And I think that's going to come back to bite them in the second half of the game. I think we're going to start to get a lead. They're going to start to burn out. We're going to start hitting our shots more and more. They'll start missing. And then we'll see that lead grow to 10 is my prediction. I think we do win by double digits. Not a whole lot more than 10, though. I'm not going to give you a final score prediction because I could see that going either way with their good defense and our great offense. So it could be high scoring, could be low scoring, but I think either way we come out on top with a 10-point win. So should be a great game, great matchup. Hard to see BYU lose this one after all of the games we've had this season and how dominant we have been so far. But like was said by you, Chris, this is a rivalry game. Who knows what could happen? So should be a super fun one. Really looking forward to it. I'm not letting you off the hook without picking a score. All right, fine. I'll pick a score. Let's say 82 to 72. I like that. I like sitting around the 80s. So, Love it. We both have Utah scoring 72. We'll see who's right. Awesome. I like it. I like it a lot. 
All right. Well, it should be a good game. I know Chris is going to be there. I will not be there, unfortunately, because I will be out of town. However, if you are looking for tickets, we are making an effort. BYU fans are making an effort to take over the stadium, the arena there. Um, the Huntsman Center is known for having the curtains up. They don't fill in. So BYU fans are taking advantage. We're going to make it as close to a home field game or home court game. We're going to try to make it a home game for BYU. So if you do not have tickets, you can find some for pretty cheap. Just make sure you check Twitter. There's a lot of links going around for where you can find those tickets. Let's fill in the Huntsman Center with blue and let's go get a win. Should be a good one. You keep you keep saying the Huntsman Center. I think you mean Marriott Center North. Correct you on that one. You're right. You're right. Thank, thank you for correcting me there. All right. Well, that's all we have for you today. It was a longer episode. But again, it was a super fun one reviewing football, getting to chat with Aiden a little bit, and then talking some basketball. In terms of the future of the podcast, we're still working out what that's going to look like with basketball season. With having multiple games a week, it's a little bit tough having regular episodes for every single game. So we're going to work out what's going to work best for us in our schedules. We'll make sure we keep you all updated, though. If you do not already, make sure you follow us on our socials. It's at Coog Talk Podcast on both Instagram and Twitter. Make sure you check out our website, cougartalkpodcast.com. Find all of our links there, including our link to donate and subscribe to Coog Connect. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll make sure we let you all know when the next episode is coming out. And Chris, do you have anything you want to add before we end? As Aiden Robbins said, copying my, copy my catchphrase, go Cougs. Awesome. Love it. It's always go Cougs from us and, of course, from Aiden Robbins. But we hope you all have a great week. We hope for a good game against Utah. We all and we will see you all next time. This was the Cougar Talk Podcast. Thanks for listening.